The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. Nope, it didn't. This is the Voice of Morgantown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys, before we get into it, please follow us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, and whether you love us, hate us, or if you're indifferent about us, just tell us how you feel about this interview coming up, and tell us your thoughts on every episode that you listen to. Um, So let's dive into it. Um, Ever since we interviewed former Troy walk-on Tanner Blatt, we wanted to interview somebody with an opposite viewpoint, somebody who is a pro Neil Brown supporter, because we think it's important to give both sides their opportunity to voice their opinion and tell their side of the story. So tonight, we are going to be joined by Joe O'Quinn from the Troy Boys podcast. Joe is a diehard Troy supporter and much like us, follows everything his favorite team does on the field, behind the scenes, any information he can get. So uh, I think we're going to get a lot of info tonight. Joe, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, man. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really happy to be here. Yeah, looking forward to get some uh, perspective from, I guess, the other side of the, the field so that we can kind of hear your thoughts that are probably much more positive than 80% of uh, Mountaineer fans thoughts. (laughs) I can only imagine for sure. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like we're so close to what's happening that um, it's just interesting to hear an outside perspective. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, Troy fans, of course, have a lot of good memories from Neil Brown's tenure there. He went 35 and 16 with Troy in just four years. Um, and, and so what do you think? What is it that made Neil Brown so successful during his time at Troy? What made him a good head coach? I think there were several reasons. I think one of the first reasons that he was more successful at Troy than he's been at West Virginia is just the way that he started. Um, when he came to Troy, he was taking over for the end of the career of Larry Blakeney. Um, now, if you guys don't know Coach Blakeney, um, coached at Troy for over 20 years, um, was a living legend. Um, but his time at the school and on the sidelines had just kind of passed him by. It was time. Um, you know, he finished the season in 2014 uh, with his name on the field. It was named after him and three wins. We went three and nine. Um, so I think. People were just excited to get a breath of fresh air. And Neil Brown was, in a way, everything that Larry Blakeney was not. Larry Blakeney was old school, uh, deep Alabama roots. You know, um, everybody had a story about Larry Blakeney shotgunning a beer on University Avenue after a win. That's just the kind of guy he was. Neil Brown was this young guy, fresh-faced. Um, you know, talking about going to church on Sunday morning instead of staying up late on Saturday night. Um, And so he was just he got a real grand entrance uh, into Troy. Um, Whereas as I look at when Neil goes into West Virginia, obviously, you know, as Troy fans, we were all like, man, they're getting this great coach. Um, But as I looked around, even at the time when it happened, there were a lot of West Virginia fans that were feeling pretty jilted um, by uh, Coach Holgerson. And and that whole move to Houston, um, which seemed like uh, to some West Virginia fans, maybe even a downward move uh, from West Virginia. And so I think 
you know, Neil Brown showed up um, and it wasn't so much, you know, welcome the conquering hero. Uh, it was like, oh, my gosh, we lost our coach to Houston. And now we're, you know, we've, we're hiring this coach from Sunbelt School. Um, and, and it seemed like West Virginia fans, um, some took that as kind of a couple of affronts, you know, that, that were kind of indignities they were being forced with. Does that sound accurate from, from where y'all were uh, when that happened his first year? I think um, in some aspects, there's definitely a portion of the West Virginia fan base who really despised Holgerson just because he was, he didn't embrace the state kind of like past coaches have. And he was very, um, you know, famous for his Red Bull and his drinking and, and kind of everything else. And I think that rubbed some people the wrong way um, because they wanted kind of a good old boy who just kind of, you know, spoke the language, embraced the state love the love the university in the way that rich rod and don and bill stewart had before um plus also i think the way the holgerson came in rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because people love bill stewart i was not a bill stewart fan but people loved bill stewart because he was exactly what i just mentioned about him being a good old boy who loved the university lived and breathed breathed golden blue um but for me personally um dana leaving was kind of it felt like his time had come um and whenever neil came in i was actually kind of happy with the hire because like you said he seemed like a breath of fresh air someone who had a different perspective um but it definitely you know tyler you can maybe speak to this a little bit but um it seemed like that the fan base was was a little bit divided just because there were still some people who loved dana and because he did some good things here yeah i mean there was definitely a portion who thought that it wasn't a great hire and of course, you'll get all kinds of people on social media claiming that now, which I don't know if that's true or not. But um, I feel like most people were OK with the hire. He was a hot name. I mean, a lot of people forget that four years ago, he was an up and coming coach. And, um, you know, people did want to hire Neil Brown. Now, the biggest thing was um, like Luke Fickle and people like that were also available who WVU didn't get. And so maybe that's why some of the fan base was a little sour on the hire, just because they thought there was maybe a bigger name out there that we didn't pull in. And that might be where some of the negativity was coming from, even, you know, initially four years ago. For sure. Um, and one interesting thing, I, I don't know if West Virginia fans have talked about this, but Neil's first season at West Virginia and his first season at Troy were very, very similar. Um, but if you look at some of the blowback that he got from West Virginia that you could see online, at least, um, there was some blowback. There was none at Troy. Um, people were just so excited to see um, the culture start to change, discipline returning to the team. Uh, we didn't have to watch 178 bubble screens every single game. So, like, you know, he went four and eight at Troy. That's not acceptable uh, for most Troy fans. But people didn't care because of the intangible things they were seeing, um, they were happy to wait. Um, you know, West Virginia, he goes five and seven, um, you know, very similar. Um, but it didn't seem like, um, he got the same kind of break that he got um, from Troy fans. Um, and, you know, that could be because that seg that section of the fan base that did, like Coach Holgerson, now had uh, evidence to bring to, to bring to the court of, of social media and say, see, I told you this was a terrible hire. He only won five games, uh, which I think that uh, Dana's last year, maybe he went uh, maybe eight and eight four, and if, if, if that strikes me right. Eight and five. I so, think. Um, you know, and – 
Yeah, maybe lo- I think lost the Camping World Bowl, another another bowl lost yeah. to antiquity. Um, so you know, I mean, but but I think that really what we get down to um, is why did Neil Brown have success at Troy? Why do I believe he's struggling at West Virginia? I think a lot of it is time. Um, he had time at Troy. Neil Brown will tell you. I haven't, I haven't listened to his press conference uh, when he was hired at West Virginia. I was pretty upset with him when he when he left Troy. Um, so I was I was not really listening to to a lot of his stuff. Um, but he'll talk about his culture first program. That's you know that's what he wants to do, and it takes time to build that culture. Even talking about he likes to rely on high school kids instead of JUCO guys, and I'm sure he feels that way about the transfer portal. He wants to build his own men, um, and that's why you know I think y'all got a lot of um, clamoring in certain Troy circles when the interview with Tanner Blatt came out. You know, and I'm not here to, to besmirch the young man. God bless him and thank him for his service. Um, I thought there were parts of his interview that they were his, they were his perceptions, but his perceptions were not accurate. Um, you know, as being around that program, as much as I was, um, you know, this whole Neil Brown is the silver tongued devil and everybody in the field house is just being mean to these poor walk-ons. Um, that's just, that ain't it chief. You know I mean? That's just not how Troy is. Uh, it's, it is a meritocracy. It certainly was under, um, Neil, I'm sure that's how he's running things at West Virginia. Um, you know, again, I would encourage anybody that listened to that interview uh, to go read a Montgomery advertiser, advertiser article about when he came back uh, for the Akron game on September 24th, 2019. And you'll see a lot of what he said to y'all, not quite what he was telling the media back then about why he had left the team. Um, and just the last note that I have to make, or I'll never get to be back on our, our fan board again, is anybody that is like my size, 5'10 and 190 pounds, that tells you they were running circles around, end quote, six foot one, 235-pound Jordan Chun, Troy's career rushing touchdown record and an All-American. Um, all right, you know, <laughs> whatever you want, buddy. Um, I, I, that just ain't happening. I, I once saw Jordan Chun eat an entire refrigerator for breakfast, okay? So, like, you weren't running circles around that guy unless he let you. Um, but I, I think that's one of the biggest differences um, is he was very willing to give the time for that cold piece. Um, and I thought his culture at Troy was, was one of the best that we've ever had. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys feel like that's been part of the problem at West Virginia or not. Um, in my perspective, I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, the people who are at the, the school speak highly of West Virginia, you know, the people who are sticking around. The problem is that it, it the culture isn't necessarily sticking with everyone who's there. And I, I don't know if it's the new landscape of college football. I don't know if it's just, you know, these kids are, you know, maybe think higher of themselves because they're at a power five university, but the culture just doesn't seem to be sticking with everyone. So, you know, Neil, like you noted, and I thought it was a great point where he does say it here too, where he wants to build through high school. And unfortunately we don't have guys who are sticking around long enough to, you know, show what they can do. So, um, you know, I, I would like to get your opinion on that too, is, you know, the players who did stick around at Troy are, did you see good development under those players over the course of three or four years, the guys that he handpicked and brought on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and he didn't recruit Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers, for my money, is the best quarterback 
Troy University's ever had, period, point blank. Um, most people down here will tell you it's Sim Bird, who won a national title in the 60s. Um, but Brandon Silver's, uh, you know, I mean, could just absolutely thread the needle with that football uh, and, and do everything he asked him to do. He's been uh, with the Jets for a little while. Now he's with um, an XFL squad, I think. Um, but Brandon really came along uh, from being kind of a smaller high school kid, not too small, but um, down at Gulf Shores High School um, to, to really being – uh, an all-conference player and, and a three-time bowl champion. So, and he did that with a lot of different guys. Um, there were a lot of folks that came to Troy, but Neil was doing that at Troy in a time where it was much harder to leave. Um, you know, we can't go back in time and look in the eight ball and go, how many of those guys after that, uh, you know, four and eight season, whatever it was, would have gone. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go, you know, see if I can't become the second-string linebacker at Tulsa. Um, or whatever it might have been, um, we'll, we'll just never know. At the time, you you know, Neil kind of had fo his folks that he got recruited there, and you knew you were going to have those guys because it was so punitive to transfer. Um, I also think another big reason, um, and this I think is probably a topic that you all debate a lot, um, one thing that, you know, Neil's a great recruiter. He was for us. Um, but one thing that allowed him to be a great recruiter, the same thing that allowed even Chip Lindsey, uh, who was not a good coach, he was a good recruiter for us. John Summerall, our current coach, has recruited really well. We're in the Sunbelt Conference, and that is a conference that has chosen to be very geographically connected to one another. So all the schools you're competing against in recruiting and everything else, these are all kids that live in this in this same region. So it makes recruiting much more compact. You guys are like this eastern citadel out on your own, um, far away from these teams uh, in your conference that, to be honest, as an outsider, don't even seem culturally like you at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sure if I was given time, I could make a Venn diagram of West Virginia and, and you know, whatever TCU and tell you the things they have in common. Um, but, but it really doesn't seem like a place where y'all fit. Um, and I think that's something that probably makes his job and anybody who's coaching at West Virginia makes that job harder. Um, is that conference something that, that comes up a lot as fans debate the state of the program? Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of fans still say that we should be in the ACC. Um, which for me now, looking forward, I honestly think we're sitting better in the Big 12 because I, I could see the ACC kind of getting picked apart over these next 10 years. But um, it has definitely hurt us in the past 10 years. I think it's getting better with teams like Cincinnati and stuff like that coming. It'll be a little closer. Um, like you talked about, maybe we could recruit people and sell them that, hey, you're from the state of Ohio and you're going to play Cincy once a year or stuff like that. But um, that's definitely a part of it. And I think that's why Holgerson had success, because he was able to go to those JUCO schools and really have an eye for talent. I mean, you look at guys like David Sills and Skylar Howard. And they had, yeah, yeah, Kevin White, who had so much success. And he took them from these little colleges that most people overlook these guys. And that's how he got them to Morgantown. Whereas um, you kind of alluded to it earlier, Neil really wants these four-year guys, which, yeah, you do need to get those as well. But he's really whiffed in the transfer portal and bringing in guys from other schools lately. Um, and maybe that's something he can get better at. I mean, every coach <laughs> is trying to 
get used to that, especially the ones who were so used to bringing in high school guys and keeping them for four years. So hopefully it's something he can get better at if he's here um, much longer. But uh, I definitely think that is a big reason why um, we've been struggling lately. Yeah, and for, for full transparency, yeah, that's probably my biggest gripe with Neil since he's been here is that, you know, it just doesn't seem like, you know, we're getting that player development. And some of that is, you know, kind of comparing it to Holgerson where we were seeing guys that even if we weren't winning, we were putting guys pro. And, you know, so we saw guys go from either these Juco kids or lower ranked kids who he just somehow some way had a great eye for talent, even though he didn't want to put the effort in. Um he could find these athletes, develop them, and then put them in the league. So at least if you know we're not competing for the conference, we actually get a chance to see some guys play on Sunday. Um, under Neil, and that, you know, part of this, like we just talked about, is about the transfer portal. We haven't seen players go pro at the same level that we were used to under Holgerson, which is a little frustrating. Sure. Yeah, and that that wasn't something that would have been um, a big expectation for him at Troy. Obviously, we've had. Uh, some guys, um, I, I took a lot of classes with DeMarcus Ware, um, and Osio Manuro was on campus when I was there. So we've, we've had some success, um, that's but that's not days. something that a Troy, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then I, I joked about the refrigerator, DeMarcus Ware, uh, to get into one of my criminal justice classes had to turn to the side and walk through the door. I mean, he, he was wow. a large man, one of the nicest guys I ever met. Um, but when I would watch him on Saturdays, see him hit somebody, I would think, I don't know how that guy is like still living, you know, I mean, just such a gigantic human being. Um, but but that that is not something Troy fans like when our guys go to the league. That's a great thing. Um, but that's not something anybody's going to the coach's office uh, on Monday morning complaining about. Um, and I think it's just because it's such a college only culture down here. Um, people don't care really about pro sports. Um, and you wouldn't either if you had to root for the Falcons, you know, so um, that, that's just the way it is. Um, two things I wanted to make sure I brought up that I think are, are bigger challenges um, that Neil is now facing that maybe he didn't even realize that he was going into. One is when he was at Troy, there was no competition in the athletic department. The head football coach is the most important person on the campus period um, in athletics. He's now at a place um, where, yeah, they want the football team to be good, but there's a guy making noise in the basketball court as well. Um, and, and Troy's had some good basketball teams in the past, particularly our women's basketball team has won some conference titles and people love that, but it will never mean as much as football. It is a football town. Um, and, and so when you're the coach, you're really able to come in and kind of reign over this little fiefdom without even proving that you're any good yet, um, that you just get that. I'm sure that can happen in West Virginia, um, but you've, you know, you've got to prove why you deserve that over a basketball team that is also really, really good um, and nationally relevant. Um, and the last point is money. And I know some people listening to this are going to go just – scrambling to Google uh, to tell y'all how much more y'all spend on athletics than Troy. And it's a whole bunch. Um, but what I'll tell you is that I went to a very affluent, fluent high school. I was not affluent. My dad taught there. So I got to go there for free. Um, and one thing I learned from my friends that had a whole bunch of money is you can live paycheck to paycheck on a pretty big paycheck. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, you still have a good amount of money, but you're spending it every two weeks. Um, and, and I looked at these numbers and I found them fascinating. So in 2011, that's West Virginia's last year in the big East, uh, won the orange bowl, uh, 10 games, 
made $72 million in athletic revenue and spent $74 million, which is not um, not unusual. Most athletic partner uh, uh, departments are not spinning off revenue because that includes like the women's field hockey team that drive up to Syracuse or whatever. Last year, and this is all adjusted for today's money, West Virginia made – $72 million in athletic revenue. So the same as 2021 now. Um, so the same amount, $8 million less than the Big 12 median while spending $64 million. So we're spending less money at a time when most, most athletic departments are up 5% in their spending. We're spending less. And so my note is, you know, one thing, maybe Neil's not the guy. I, I like him. I think he's a great coach. I think he could be a great coach at West Virginia. But the family table meeting is we cannot invest at G5 levels, at Big East levels, and expect Power 5 results. Um, and I would say the same thing to Troy. If Troy was not doing well in the Sun Belt and we looked and we were spending less money than everybody else or half the conference, we'd have to decide – if we're going to really do this, we've got to put the resources behind it. Um, and so those are just some things I, I looked at. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to defend Neil Brown, any questions that y'all have. Um, but I, I think there are some things in West Virginia um, that y'all have got to look at um, to determine, you know, what, what kind of success level can we expect uh, moving forward at this investment level? Yeah, I mean um... – Obviously, basketball is big in West Virginia because of Bob Huggins, and we've had a lot of success in the past 20 years in basketball, but uh, I would still say football's king, and I think a lot of fans would agree with that, and there has been a lot of huge upgrades in facilities and stuff like that since Neil Brown has been here. Um, Shane Lyons was responsible for a lot of that, even though he's taking a lot of heat right now and um, just got sent out the door, honestly, but um it was more for NIL. Um, Shane really struggled with NIL with uh, Country Roads Trust. And, um, and and so I could see how money there maybe was struggling. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't taken a deep dive and seen what they spent their money on. But um, I, I don't think that is why Neil has been struggling. What do you think, Brandon? I could be way off. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I, I do think you know, the change in, I guess, culture and financial situation is, is something to adapt to. Um, but I, I think one thing, too, is the change in competition. I know whenever Neil was at Troy, he competed with like um, LSU and then Clemson. I think there might have been a third team there, too, that he Nebraska. played for. Nebraska, that was it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that works whenever you have, you know, that that kind of shock value. You know, you can kind of go in there, shift your game plan around. And we saw Neil get really close some years with, um, you know, I'm thinking last year where we played Oklahoma um, before they switched from Spencer Rattler. And we lost that game 17-14. We probably could have won it, but we had a bad snap in the red zone and that blew our chances. Um, and I think that ball control style offense works good whenever you have the guys. Um, I think the tough thing for West Virginia is – um, our recruiting base is we can't recruit West Virginia because we have like five guys a year, if that, that are division one quality. Outside of that, we're recruiting against Penn State, Pitt, anyone else who wants to recruit Pennsylvania, Ohio State from Ohio. Um, and then one of our most fertile recruiting grounds for a while when we were in the Big East, when we were playing teams in Florida, was Florida. And that recruiting base has dried up quite a bit. Um, Neil has done a good job at actually opening up some more inroads in like Georgia and the Carolinas and places like that but 
um, we're always just kind of getting the the scraps from all the other big players around us. And I think that's an adjustment because we're not always getting like um, the guys who, you know, we might be their top choice. And I think Neil's done a good job at competing more with some of those heavy hitters with guys like Rodney Gallagher, who he stole away from Penn state, um, Jeremiah Trotter, who we stole away from some big names um, in Pennsylvania. But, um, you know, I, that's the biggest thing is, you know, dealing with things where you're, the talent you have on the field is lesser than what your opponents are bringing in just because they're bigger, more prestigious and have more money. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you would think that that's a perfect situation for Neil, right? Because that's just where he cut his teeth. Um, you know, going into death Valley with Troy, you would think um, he knows how to, how to take a, take less and make more. Um, and, and it's been disappointing uh, that he hasn't done that for you guys just yet. Yeah, and I think Brandon makes a good point. Like, that style can work if you bring in the right talent, but I feel like a place like West Virginia would be better off to have more of a gimmicky, like, style of offense because Neil is very much just line it up, run the ball, um, throw it a lot, but nothing, like, super fancy. It's not, like, real spread, like Mike Leach, like, throw it around the field. He's very conservative. Even, I mean fans complained so much this past year because we brought in Graham Harrell and we thought that would really hurry up the offense and be exciting. And they did put up some big points in some games, but I mean, they, they rarely hurried up. They would let the play clock run all the way down. It was very much a ball control style offense. And I would argue that, you know, stuff like that just doesn't work when you're West Virginia playing in the big 12 against like Brandon said, these schools who have like four or five star guys, um, I feel like he would be better off if he found a way to like make it an offense that you don't see every Saturday. I feel like his is very vanilla and it's hurt him a lot because he's had good defenses here. What's really held him back is his offense, which Neil Brown definitely has a big thumbprint on. I think it also hurts too whenever, you know, you, you can't like, like I said, the kind of being with the shock value where you're able to kind of go in there and surprise someone who's not familiar with playing you every year. But whenever you're doing the same thing every year with different guys, um, teams with the better talent and, you know, pretty good coaches, most of them um, are able to adapt and, you know, kind of take advantage of that more conservative style that Neil brings. And there are times where he'll put in wrinkles and it's fantastic. I, you know, me and Tyler talk about all the time where, you know, there'll be stretches where it's just like we're scratching our head and trying to kind of wondering what Neil does. And then, a week later will be something completely new and will look like a completely different football team. We'll be like, well, that's, that's the guy who we thought we hired and then kind of back to the norm. So um, that's just kind of our perspective on uh, what we've been seeing. Does, does any of that strike you as familiar territory with Neil during his time at Troy? Certainly when you start, I, I started having some kind of flashbacks, particularly when you started talking about now this happened to Troy more towards the end of his tenure when he did have all the best athletes on the field. I mean, he very quickly took Troy from this school that was really struggling to all of a sudden by his last year, we were the best school in that conference. And there wasn't the games we lost. We should not have lost. I'm thinking of a Liberty game. We went up to um, Lynchburg and played Liberty and Neil and his staff very clearly played not to lose that ball game. 
Uh, I was in Lynchburg, um, and it was very disappointing to see. Um, there were times, um, had they served alcohol in that stadium, which of course they do not, um, I would likely have been calling for Neil to, to, to get it together a little bit more loudly. Um, but he, you know, there were times where we started these kind of like you're talking about running the clock all the way down and seeing if we couldn't play keep away. Um, and that was really frustrating, um, especially with the guys that we had by that point, we had athletes, um, that for our level, you know, you, you should be able to go out and really put your, your foot down on somebody's neck um, when you're that much more athletic than they are. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much it matters. I know this is something that was talked about a lot at Troy. He did a very good job um, academically at Troy. Um, he had a great APR with us. Um, and a lot of our players succeeded in the classroom and ended up getting degrees. Unfortunately, as much as I think that's important, uh, I'm from Alabama, so I know enough to know it really isn't that important uh, to most fans. Also, with this day and age, um, you know, I think guys are going to graduate from the last school that they're at um, using their eligibility. I don't know that anybody – there used to be this sense of pride not that long ago before all this that you wanted a guy to come and get an education at your school. Um, now so often, even if a guy plays with you three seasons, uh, he might end up graduating from from some other college. So, so I don't know um, how important that is. I know that just being – looking – uh, through your fan base on social media and on different websites. It's a very passionate fan base. It's very proud um, uh, of the state that it represents. Um, but but I just think that's one of those things kind of lost to time. Um, and even we're struggling with that at Troy. Um, we just lost a guy who was a great receiver for us that's going to Oregon. Um, it's weird to me to think that one day he's going to have a diploma on his wall that says Oregon and not Troy on it. But that's just one of those things we have to get used to. And I think if someone, you know, brought all this podcast down into a one minute cliff notes, um, I think that would be it. You know, I've almost convinced myself during this conversation, you know, all these things that Neil Brown is really good at and did really well at Troy. Um, are those things just, things of the past and can he is Neil Brown sitting at his dare to be great moment where he figures out how to be a coach in this environment um, or, or does he not have that ability? Cause they are two very, very different styles um, of how you lead a program. And I think what he wanted, wanted what he did at Troy, I'm sure what he wanted to do at West Virginia is just very, very hard. And most coaches just aren't doing it anymore. It reminds me of that uh, joke from basketball where uh, they say everyone knows Shaq made all his money in college. And that's kind of the environment <laughs> we're in now. <laughs> yeah. Man, that, yeah, is, a I mean, deep, I, that I, is a deep cut. That is a deep cut. <laughs> I, I think he made a lot of good points. He is kind of like stuck in a, a time that, you know, doesn't really exist anymore. You're right. I mean, guys are, they don't care if they get a four-year degree at one school. They're, I mean, really following the money for the most part, if you have a lot of talent. That's the most important thing to them. And, um, and and like we said earlier, maybe he is just still trying to adapt because it's such a new college football that everyone's trying to get used to, even the fans. But, I mean, the coaches are too. Um, but um, let's talk about a few people. This is probably a situation you followed closely about three, four years ago. Vic Koning followed Neil Brown to WVU. And as we all know, that was a big part of Neil's success when he was at Troy. 
Um, but unfortunately, he had to resign to to a scandal after just one year of being here. Um, so who knows what the defense might be now four years later with Vic being there for all four years. But um, how much of an impact do you think a veteran coach like Vic having to leave? Um, do you think that really hampered his success here? Because Coach Lindsley did go on to have two successful years after that. But man, this past year. WVU's defense was god-awful. If they would have just been average, um, WVU would have easily went to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, go look at Louisiana Monroe, um, which is historically one of the worst programs in college football. Um, actually spends the least on college football of any Division One program. Um, Vic is there now, um, and their defense – is much improved, um, you know, kind of day and night. Now, they're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs or anything, um, but but they are very, very good, um, and they've historically not been, and there's not a lot of talent there. Um, I think he absolutely would have made a, dif a difference. You saw a lot of chatter again when that happened at West Virginia. Um, you saw a lot of Troy fans that were um, pretty upset because Vic was very popular at Troy. Um, it felt like he had been taken away. Um, and then, you know, whatever your view is on that scandal, I, I don't know how much y'all want to talk about that. Um, you know, that's that's just Troy's such a small program. That's not the kind of thing that usually gets brought out into the light of day. Um, and so if that kind of stuff happens, it's just kind of, um, you know, sometimes guys just leave, assistants leave, and you never know why because it's a small enough program that still happens. Um, but you know, th there was a lot of conversation about that because Vic was so well loved in the Troy community and, and what he was accused of. Um, there were a lot of Troy fans didn't feel like that really matched up to the man that they knew when he was there. And so absolutely. I think that made a difference not to have Vic, um, a guy that understood him, um, and a guy that certainly throughout his career and continues to this day, um, takes guys that are. Um, you know, two and three stars and makes them play like, um, you know, four and four and a half stars. Um, and so that's a that's a valuable resource for anybody. Yeah, I, I like Coach Koning. And, you know, I, I definitely think the situation was a little overblown. I can understand why, um, you know, the player in question felt uncomfortable. Um, I think he was Muslim or something along those lines. And Vic was really trying to push some of the Christianity stuff on him, which, you know, I understand the football field probably isn't the place for that. Um, and that, that could make someone feel uncomfortable, but I, I feel like it's something that could have been talked out. Um, unfortunately, right. they went to social instead of um, addressing it through the proper channels, which he claims he did. It's hard to say because it's all hearsay. Um, but, you know, I do think that Vic Coning, I mean, you look at his entire resume, he knows how to coach defenses. And um, right now, I mean, it's hard to say was the two good years we got from Jordan Leslie. Was that him just being a, a great defensive coordinator his first year as defensive coordinator he actually had a co-defensive coordinator and Jamila die who left went to georgia um and then last year he did or not last year but the season before this past one he had a pretty solid defense it definitely took a little bit of a step back from that team um two years ago and then this past year the entire the wheels just fell off so um it's hard to say how much he was riding just the fumes off of coach coning that's kind of my view on it Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, we, we touched on this a little bit, but uh, we just wanted to ask you, and I, it seemed like a lot of players at Troy loved Neil Brown. Of course, we talked to Tanner, and I'm sure there might have been a couple others who felt that way. Every head coach is going to have um, players who have strong feelings either way. Some are going to love them. Some are going to have negative things to say. Um, but you know, at, at the voice of Morgantown, we have had several former players reach out to us and they don't want us to use their names for obvious reasons. So we'll respect their wishes, but, um, some have really supported Neil Brown. Um, some haven't, some have said some horrible things and I don't know if that's because they're transferring and they just have bitter feelings or if it's legit, but we've even had one person who um, is highly respectable, said he really likes Neil Brown. He's a nice guy, but he's just in over his head coaching. Um, why do you think uh, he's, he's so polarized here? Why, why do players have such strong feelings no matter what? Because rarely will you talk to a former Neil Brown player who just has you know real dull things to say. They're always very passionate one way or the other. Well, yeah, you know, I could I could give you the get off my lawn answer, right, and say, well, um, Neil's holding them accountable, and and kids these days and their TikTok, they don't like to be held accountable. <laughs> um, I, I think it's probably a lot deeper than that. Um, you know, I I do know that um, he runs at least he ran at Troy. He ran something called the Octagon um, that was very old school in terms of. Um, getting guys in and out of camp, um, very physically demanding. Um, and you have some players that really like that kind of gladiator stuff, but but that's becoming less and less as guys start to see their health uh, in football as a commodity. Um, you know, I, I do think you, you brought up a good point when you started to, to talk about Vic. Um, Neil Brown um, and his wife, um, very, very proud – um, Christians and talk a lot about their Christian faith. Um, at Troy, nobody within 90 miles of Pike County is going to be upset about that. Um, you know, pray before every game, um, you know, chaplain in the locker room, um, you know, everybody is, is supportive of that. Um, he's not in Troy anymore. And I know it's, you know, it's not like he's in Manhattan, um, but Morgantown is bigger. Um, and you've got guys who might not want that. And, and they, they came to a state institution and they might think I shouldn't, you know, this is not something that should come with the territory. Um, and, and, you know, they're right. Um, they shouldn't be put into any type of religious education they don't want. Um, but Neil Brown's not going to stop doing that. That's who he is. Um, and so um, you could have some guys that are upset about that. Um, and then I think anytime you're not being successful, um, you're going to have guys that are upset. Um, you know, you, you talked about y'all's interview with Tanner. Um, you know, you could go look at any team that didn't have success and go through the roster and it probably wouldn't take you 20 minutes to get some guy that would tell you we didn't do well and we didn't do well because I wasn't on the field. And that, of course that's how they feel. They're college football players. They didn't feel that way. They wouldn't put up with all the mess that it takes to play football at that level. Um, but, you know, as far as him being so polarizing up there, I do wonder if it has something to do um, just with the way that, because at Troy he made, his faith and that kind of thing, a uh, very much a, a big part of his program. We had a wide receiver uh, that converted to Christianity during one of Neil's first seasons. Um, that was one of the good seasons. And that was something they talked about a lot. And, and that player hosting Bible studies and things like that. Um, you know, it could just be that you're, 
um, you're kind of taking that to a larger audience and maybe you're having guys tell you not interested in it. Um, so that's something I would think is a possibility. It's always hard with the whispers out of the locker room. We get the same thing. Um, and you really can just kind of guess at tea leaves at that point. But I, I think that would be something to consider. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, I guess, um, I don't know what the right word is, but it's an interesting conflict between Neil Brown and Morgantown. Uh, West Virginia is a Christian state. Morgantown is not a Christian city. It is routinely ranked top three party schools in the country. Um, there is some serious debauchery that goes on there. So I'm imagining some of the, the, the players are engaging. And I remember we had um, a four-star quarterback under Dana Holgerson era um, who I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to, you know, throw anyone under the bus, but he actually had to leave the program because he ended up becoming an alcoholic while he was in Morgantown and just couldn't function. So um, Morgantown can ruin good people. And, you know, I can definitely see where that, you know, uh, I don't want to say preachy, but that's the only way I can think of saying it. Preachy kind of attitude um, or approach can kind of contradict what these kids are doing every night down on high street. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you you make a great point. It is kind of a stereotype that the South is, you know, super religious, but it also is true. I mean, it's it's in the culture down there, whereas, you know, up here, especially like how Brandon said, Morgantown, it's not. So I could see how that could maybe rub a kid who's already got negative feelings the wrong way, and then he just uses that to fuel the rest of it. Um, yeah, you guys bring up a lot of good points. Um, what we, do you- we don't have – sorry, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I had one more question. Um for Joe here. Um, so kind of turning the, the page a little bit, um, Neil Brown called plays for you guys at Troy and he did the first three years here at WVU. Um, you know, I know you touched on kind of the, the clock churning that piece of it, but, but do you think that, or I guess in your experience, were you okay with him as a play caller? Do you think he got the most out of his guys or do you think he left a little bit to be desired during at least his earlier years? I think he did. In fact, I, I wonder at times if the specific kind of talent pieces that he had at Troy didn't rob him a little bit of becoming a better play caller. And what I mean by that is when you have Jordan Chun, who's so far and away a better halfback than everybody else on the field, when you have Brandon Silvers, who by the time he's a junior and senior is an absolute stud, I mean, he was Grayson McCall before Grayson McCall existed. Um, when you have Damian Willis, a guy we got from East Mississippi Community College, who, I mean, I guarantee you that in 2018, that guy already had COVID because he could catch anything. Um, and when you have those guys, Neil was very good at playing to those strengths. Um, but I do wonder sometimes, um, you know, if it's like when you turn on your, your old Xbox 360 and boot up the NCAA 2014, if you play as Alabama, you're not going to get as good as if you play as Akron. Um, because as Akron, you got to figure out how to actually move the football as Alabama. You just throw, you know, four verts all day. You're going to be just fine. Um, and, and so I, I do wonder, you know, Neil's play calling seemed to work fine at Troy. Um, but he also had gotten in such athletes, um, that I think, you know, Hey, uh, you know, run, run left, run right, run center to Jordan Chun against Southern Miss to win that big ball game the year he won it. Um, that's not real hard to call those plays. Um, you, you can do that. I think you make a lot of good points and in your, I'm so glad we had you on. Cause you are really painting a picture as to, 
maybe why we haven't seen the same level as success here. You saw a lot of things that we are seeing, honestly. It's just, you know, kind of like what you said at the beginning, just different um, environments, different talent level. And, and that's, you know, what's causing us not to have as much success. Neil Brown is good at keeping games close. He's just not good at winning them up here at WVU. It sounds like he had close games at Troy as well. He just had the better talent to get above and win those games. And um, yeah, it does seem like sometimes he's just sucking his ways. It really does, especially on offense. It seems like um, he just thinks it's eventually going to work. The problem is in four years, it just simply hasn't. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I stand by thinking Neil's a good coach. Um, I, you know, I probably always will. Um, but I, I do think some one of the worst things that happened to him this year were the um, really the lack of success that um, Texas and Oklahoma had. Um, now, you know, they, they had success, but it wasn't nearly what they're used to. Um, and, you know, before Neil Brown defenders could have said, well, you got these two behemoths and they're going to be gone in a few years. So really, we've got to wait to judge him until we see what this conference is going to look like. Well, you know, Oklahoma was like six and six, you know, I mean, this was not a team that was preventing you uh, from from excelling. Um, they had a down year um, and this is the opportunity that you would have hoped, um, you know, a team like West Virginia could have stepped through that void. Um, and so I don't know what's going to come of him. It, it seems like y'all's university is sticking with him. Um, I think that's probably a good decision. But, um, boy, even, even you know, um, I'm, I'm probably the biggest Neil Brown defender um, you can find uh, right now. But, but I would think this has got to be it. Um, I, if he has another year where it's not, oh, boy, eight and four at the, at the least, I would think. Uh, bon voyage from Morgantown. I, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but but I, I would think this is this is his last shot. I would think. Yeah, I'm kind of in the. Uh, I've been in the same boat since about halfway through last season. Um, you know, the one big thing, and I think it comes up to a point that you brought up earlier, where it's just the distance and geography we have to travel in order to get to any other school. But for whatever reason, over the past two seasons during road games, sometimes our teams just fail to show up, and seeing that for like the second year in a row where we end up going to Lubbock and you know what, we go down 18, nothing in the first quarter, we go into Austin and we're down 28, nothing before halftime. Um, you know, we just want to see competitive football. So I like Neil as a person. I think he's a tremendous person. I love him and the way he represents the university. Um, but college football, like we've talked about college football has changed so much over the past, you know, two or three years that, um, he's going to have to show he can adapt. And right now during the off season, it seems like he's struggling with the transport portal. Once again, I think we got a kicker and two guys from Kent state. Um, and this is a big year for him. So I know we talked about it that, you know, we would like to see him go big and um, all the big names that have popped up that we've been in conversations with have come and gone. And um, with the the two losses to our basketball team, the uh, over the, over this weekend, um, WVU is kind of in a dark place right now. <laughs> is that a, is that a lot of losses for basketball school? Well, they're well, zero and two in conference. I mean, play, we lose so, so yeah. many. We we just we keep we keep. Oh we no! Were, okay. That, yeah, we were that, ranked not for the first that. time in like I don't know what two years, two or three years, three years. Ranked, cracked the top twenty-five. Start conference play. 
lose two in a row, mostly because our players want to foul too much and commit stupid technicals. But uh, yeah, <laughs> go Mountaineers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you guys definitely nailed it. I, I feel like seven, eight games is, you know, the bare minimum to even have Neil in the conversation to coming back. I think if he has a really bad start that um, he's not even going to make it all the way to the end of the season. And honestly, I think it would be justified if the, you know, we have a new AD here now we have Ren Baker and obviously if it seems like it's not working, he's going to want to get his own guy in. That's just the way college football works now. But um, um, we I, we don't want this all to be negative. We kind of wanted to end on a happy note. So what was your favorite Neil Brown memory during his tenure at Troy? Because you guys did have a lot of high moments when he was there. So I'll give you two, um, one serious and one funny. So the serious one, I, I remember being down in Mobile. I, I I don't remember what it was called. I want to say at the time it maybe was the GoDaddy Bowl. Um, and, and we were there, and, and it was the first bowl we had gotten to. Um, and it had just been such a long – and I'm like an every-game guy. I mean, it, you know, most seasons I'm at nine-plus games, if not at all of them. Um, and following those last few years, the Blakeney era was tough. Um, I mean, I'm talking about – you traveled to Jonesboro, Arkansas, not to just watch your team lose, but to watch them lose by 42 points. Um, and that's tough. Um, and so, you know, we were there and, and we won big, uh, beat Ohio. Um, and, um, you know, Neil got up on the and, and was supposed to be kind of doing this um, post game thing. And then they put the mic in his face. And uh, all he said was, Troy is back. And he lifted the, the trophy up. And I mean, you know, I'm not not too proud to admit there were some tears down my face that evening um, and then went and enjoyed myself on Dawson Street in downtown Mobile and got on a plane at 4 a.m. to go see my in-laws out in Colorado. Um, but but that was a great moment. Um, I would say, you know, what I thought was kind of a funny moment. Um, we beat LSU um, and, you know, I kind of talked about Summerall, our coach now, is a little bit more manly in a way. Um, you know, we win this big game and, and coaches obviously planned what he's going to do. He quiets the team down and he goes to yell, we just beat LSU and his voice cracks in the middle of it. You can find it on YouTube anywhere. And I always thought, you know, I mean, this is just, this is just, this guy is like, if you got um, Opie from the Andy Griffith show and he became a college football guy, he's just such a good guy that even when he tries to kind of have this aggro Braveheart moment, it, you know, it doesn't really go that way. Um, so those are, those are two great memories uh, for me of the, of the Neil Brown era and, and, and his, let me tell you, his tenure at West Virginia has been much discussed and, and a lot of people on the Troy boards, you know, saying we'll, we'll make a spot for him as like a quarterback coach. If y'all get rid of him, uh, you know, just uh, return to sender, send him back down this way and, uh, and, and we'll take care of it. Yeah. I, I love those stories. Cause that's something that, you know, we haven't really seen from Neil here. We haven't seen that kind of electric kind of personality from him. And, you know, I've seen things, I watched videos of him, um, whenever he was at Troy, I know there's a video that um, is out there where he's dabbing in the middle of the field, just kind of as a joke. I always thought that was funny. But um, here he's always kind of been even keel, very kind of monotone speaking. Um, and even at like post game press conference, given we've lost a lot of games, you know, it's kind of just cookie cutter. You know, it seems like I, there's something, you know, knowing that there's that side to him that feels like there's something kind of holding him back and he's not feeling comfortable enough to let that side out. 
And I would love to see that side. I would love to see him get more comfortable. And I'm kind of wondering what the circumstances are that are making him not be able to feel comfortable at West Virginia. I would have oh, forgotten about those press conferences, man. You you just you gave me a real flat. I mean, Neil Neil Brown could watch his house burn down and go to a press conference and wouldn't dare blame the fire department. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean that, that guy that guy was all you just get tired after a while of like, well, it's all on me. It's all on me. It's like, I don't know, coach. The guy was wide open. And he dropped the ball. I don't know. I don't know if that's all on you, but sure. Yeah. His, uh, his audio clip from this past year was they, they, they did some things on the field that they didn't show on tape. He said that probably about a half a dozen times this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, and credit to the opponent, whoever the opponent was that week. Yeah. He was insert name. Sure. Uh, we thought we came in prepared. Yeah, I mean, there was things you heard every single week. But, um, Brandon, what you were saying, I feel like a big reason why we haven't seen that emotion yet is because Neil doesn't really have a signature win here. The best win I can think of is his very first year when they went 5-7. and seven, He beat um, K-State, who, who was ranked. And, you know, it was a game most fans didn't really think we were going to win. It was kind of towards the end of the year. And I think that's the most signature win he's had uh, thus far, but, um, you know, in the past three years, I can't think of one game that really, really sticks out. Obviously the Oklahoma win this year was awesome as a WVU fan, but like you said earlier, Joe, that team went six and six in the regular season. So, I mean, is, is it really that signature? You know, I, I feel like if Neil can finally start getting some success, he'll start showing that personality that'll make hopefully WVU fans love him just as much as you guys did. Absolutely. Yeah, I sure hope so. All right. Well, um, that's it for us, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I kind of hope that Troy and WVU plays sometime down the road just so we can hook up again and talk football because you're an easy guy to talk to and you can tell that you just love Troy and you love football. So thanks for joining us, man. Uh, you, you really gave us a lot of info. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and if that day ever comes, I'm coming up and and we're going uh, whatever street Brandon talked about. We're going to go there and get in a little bit of trouble, and then and then we'll go in the game the next day. Oh, that sounds that, amazing. That'd be great. Um, and, and worst case scenario, if we don't make a bowl game or there's no matchup that comes up against each other anytime soon, we can always help you preview Troy's bowl game, and we'll become honorary Troy fans for you. <laughs> I I would you you got it. <laughs> All right, Joe, take it easy. I appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Thanks, Joe. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. Um, thanks to Joe. I hope you guys learned as much as we did. That kind of gave me a clear picture as to maybe why Neil is struggling here. It sounds like a lot of the things that Neil did here, he also did at Troy. It's just, you know, it worked because it was a different circumstance. But this definitely gave me a better understanding of the Neil Brown tenure. I don't know about you, Brandon. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's interesting to kind of get another perspective from when he was really successful. And um, yeah, I mean, it's the same guy. He's not really doing anything different, but maybe that's why it's just not working. So, um, you know, like like we've said in the past and like um, numerous others have said, even Tanner, when we had him on, Neil Brown's a really good person. It's just what's going to end up working for the Mountaineers. And even if it's not Neil Brown, you know, he's still a good person and I hope he lands on his feet somewhere. Should it not work out here? Yeah. And, and that's a good way to end it. Hey, leave a comment guys. Let us know what you think, whether you agree with what we're saying, whether you don't, um, we like to debate and please subscribe. That's it. Catch you guys next time. Thanks everyone.